Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people navigating herpes stigma to support resources. That includes community, social groups, and mental health counseling services. Uh, You can visit www.spfpp.org to learn more or donate today to support our efforts. Today, I'm here with Chuck, and we were talking a lot before we started this recording, and you were saying things that I would like for us to be able to have on the podcast. So I'm glad that you were able to join a little bit sooner so that we had the full 60 minutes to talk. I am going to do my best to not like do that thing where I ramble significantly. And I want to I want to let this be more of your space, considering you have so much to say. So uh, we'll begin with you just introducing yourself, any identities and intersections of identities that you want to share with the audience, with the understanding that we're here to a little bit talk about herpes. But I am very much interested in your life experience based on what you just shared with me before we started recording uh yeah so i mean it's been quite a journey um so i'm chuck uh i am formerly a queer life coach um that helped a lot of people transition and come out and now i am in the corporate tech world um doing my best to open as many doors for as many people as possible mentor people trying to get into tech convince places uh, why we need to open entry-level positions for people from non-technical backgrounds if we're actually talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, And so basically my goal working in any corporate environment is to make it gayer, more efficient, and more accessible. Chuck, what are your pronouns? Oh, I use he and they pronouns. All right. Uh, Let us start with, you said you had a background in sex work. Let's begin there. Um, And you mentioned... Uh, I guess what your intro just kind of did also tied into it. You want for um, like you work for a progressive company and you want to advocate for like more opportunities for people who have backgrounds in sex work. Can you talk to me a little about that? Yeah. So something for me is I know that a lot of people from, you know, who, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed, um, people with a disability background may end up doing online sex work, um, which is something that I chose to participate in. Um, mostly in the BDSM space, because that was empowering for me. Um, There are some people who have incredible skills in terms of de-escalation, problem solving, improv. Um, Those are all skills you need in technical support. And it's like, I now, you know, I went from scraping by making $300 a month, you know, doing Skype calls, to now I make six figures using the same skill set. And so many people from these backgrounds assume that there's no place for them in tech. But there is absolutely a place in the need because we need to serve the people. Like if we're going to serve diverse people, we need to have diverse people in the companies with a wealth of experience. I'm bringing trauma informed space into my workplace, into our DE&I discussions. I'm bringing accessibility, neurodivergence. Like, And if I told myself I didn't belong there, none of that would be happening in corporate tech. De- but there's so many other people that I just, I read the smart things they say and I just share the things they say d e and i d- diversity okay. equity and inclusion right yeah okay can you i'm writing a for belonging can you can you tell me what that is yeah so it, it's a concept it's a big buzzword you'll see it um on linkedin every single day um what i think people 
I can tell you what it means to me, and I can tell you what I think it means to the corporate world. I like how you worded that. Let's get both. Uh, So what it means to me is creating a space where an actual human can thrive without needing to pretend to be stronger, more energetic, uh, more compliant with professionalism. Like, an actual human being can contribute their true gifts and thrive. Like, I, you know, I have, I'm neurodivergent, I have ADHD, uh, I have bipolar disorder, I have, uh, you know, a, a major depressive disorder, anxiety disorder, PTSD, CPTSD. Like, my brain is a very, very special brain. And it's actually incredibly powerful when it's applied to the right problems. And I can do things that neurotypical people can't do. And that's incredible. That's why I'm needed in the space. And that's why people who are neurodivergent or have trauma backgrounds or whatever are needed in the space. Um, And so to me, diversity, equity, and inclusion means not only creating opportunities, but like proactively seeking out people who may not believe that they can do it and empowering them with resources and mentorship to elevate their lives and their communities. That's what diversity, equity, and inclusion. And honestly, if we're talking about anti-racism, which we need to be talking about, it's about getting out of the fucking way and making room for other people and giving them what they need to, you know, take what they want. And, you know. All right. I wanted to let you finish. It was, it was yeah. All right. I want to take this into the direction and kind of the order of things that you presented. So you mentioned early on that your sex work was um, like BDSM uh, driven and that that was healing for you. Can you speak to that? Yeah. um, So I got into the space mostly just because I was struggling um, in uh, corporate spaces and I wanted an alternative way to make income. So I started doing cam girl work and then um, people would like, be rude to me and so I started yelling at them um and then it turns out people loved that and then decided to pay me a lot more to yell at them (laughs) so I started to become really empowered in the bossy side of myself the take no shit side of myself the boundaries part of myself and that was really celebrated and allowed to grow in the BDSM space and I still bring that that skill set to corporate spaces and even like my awareness of power dynamics and my unwillingness to consent to power dynamics that don't make sense to me. If someone has more money than me or a bigger job title than me, that doesn't mean that they automatically get my respect. Like they need to be a respectable person if I'm going to allow them to have power over me in anywhere in my life. Yeah. So were these like, I guess, translating that, are you mm-hmm. trolling trolls or just like giving trolls attention in the sense through your cam work? Um, I think it was that I just was in like a spicy mood and I was annoyed. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like when people are rude. And so I just shut it down. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I just don't tend to tolerate abuse ever. It's, it's uh, something I tolerated as a young person and then, you know, grew and decided what, you know, as we were talking about in our boundaries class last night, um, what I will and will not let into my energy field. And disrespect is not something I allow into my energy field. 
Also, Chuck and I are in Dr. Evelyn Dacker's Stars class, uh, just so y'all know. So you'll hear me talking about that. Well, this will be up in March, so I'll have been, I'll probably have taught a, I'll probably have taught a couple of classes by then. So surprise! <laughs> uh, you said cam girl work, and you introduced yourself as using he him pronouns. Uh, was there a, a how long of a gap was that between the cam girl work and you now going by he him? Uh, can you speak to that? I don't yeah. want to like put words in your mouth or anything. Yeah, no, yeah. So to speak to that experience, I would say when I found, I say cam girl work because I would say that I sort of played up my femininity um, around around the same time I got into that is when I started exploring a non-binary identity, but I didn't really know that there was like a market or a value for trans bodies and trans experiences at the time. So that's why it's sort of like I was sort of doing drag really for for me and um, leaning into the girl because I thought that's what would sell. Um, But I was exploring non-binary, and then it actually took the process of giving birth and going through the process of becoming a parent to really solidify that I don't identify with she at all. I used to use she, he, and they. And then through the process of becoming a parent, it became clear to me that I am more squarely he with they being okay, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Um, But it's been almost... 10 years, like eight of those 10 years, I used he, she, they, and only about two years ago, I switched to he, they. Okay. So when you birthed your child, uh, were you still in the she, he, they uh, pronoun range, or did you go through the process of giving birth and interacting with the medical field as uh, he, him? I think it was noticing how much dysphoria I had with the use of the she's and the um, just how how by default I felt like my they was erased in birth spaces and everyone assumed I was a woman and was like yes mama you got this you can do this lady and like the more that that kept happening the more it felt clear to me that I was like it's just not that for me and it helped me really draw a line Um, I think being in a space that was so expressly typically feminine brought into contrast for me my masculine experience. Okay. How long did you feel that you weren't aligned with she, her identities? Um, I think I've always struggled with it in, in a way that I didn't really... Uh, I think when I first learned like what being trans was, I had only seen like very binary trans people, and I knew that I wasn't like the rock you know, <laughs> and then I think like the beauty of, so I got into drag in Spokane and met a non-binary person and learned that non-binary was even a thing you could be. So I was like, oh great, this is a place for me to find myself where I don't have to be defined by being good at being a guy or good at being a girl. I can just be me. And then through that, it sort of turned into me recognizing that there were masculine femme expressions that really resonated with me that at their core are masculine but do have um I mean for lack of a better word kind of like the twink thing um really resonates with me and what's a twink uh, twink is like um smaller cuter like it's like the opposite of a bear if that makes any sense oh all right bears big and hairy twink is like small and and usually diminutive or like submissive but not i mean twinks can definitely be doms too okay 
Thank you. I, I didn't know. I've seen the word and like I watch porn, but I'm like, I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so it's what like Twinker Bell. Oh, it's not even Twinker Bell. It's Tinker Bell, right? I was thinking like fairies or some shit. I, I messed that up. You uh, twinks with fairies for sure. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, all right. Let's, I guess like you have such a, a diverse collection of experiences. Let's go ahead and touch on to the herpes. So did you, yeah, you are, you've been positive for what, 10, 12 years? How many years did you say you've had herpes? Gosh, it's, yeah, 12. Okay. I think it was 20 when I found out. Um, I don't know how long I was positive before that because I was, I had no symptoms, but symptoms expressed when I was 20. I put off going to the doctor as I'm sure many people do because I didn't want to like find out I was just like oh it'll go away um but then I was dating a nurse who was very kind and helped me get my first STI test and that's how we found out I had HSV1 and then from there it's been a process of me getting comfortable with disclosure um at first I felt like I was never going to be loved again I was untouchable you know all the stigma all the shame all the the dirty narrative and I was really, really ashamed. And honestly, I've had like two or three people turn me down in 12 years. And I mean, I, I, I'm polyamorous and rather active in the scene. So it's like, you know, very rare that it actually uh, is a detriment to my experience. Okay. Uh, this is a good point of asking you. So I, I normally ask this at the end, but you've already expressed a lot of mental health and overall health um uh-huh words terminology language so i often ask people i make this statement and i emphasize it that sexual health is mental health with the emphasis on it being super interconnected so i'm curious to know for you viscerally what's your response to that statement sexual health is mental health it makes me think a lot i'm I'm sure are you familiar with the concept of like shadow work I am, yes, uh-huh. ish. Uh, Dr. Carl Jung, uh, yeah. that kind of stuff. I don't know that I'm very good at or have explained it. So if you can kind of give a little bit of a definition and maybe I can like speak to it from what I know. Yeah, and, and this is great because I've been wanting to platform to sort of reframe the concept of shadow work. Um, I've been calling it integration work. Um, and to me, uh, the Jungian shadow is the concept of the self that you were taught to hide. Like for me, I was a very loud, bossy child, very opinionated, very intelligent. Uh, I was punished by my peers and my parents for those traits. And so those became smaller and smaller and smaller in me. And I became smaller and smaller and smaller until I found BDSM and found there were consensual spaces to be sadistic, to be greedy, to be bossy, to be anything I want, to be silly, um, you know, uh, to be anything that my partners consent to. And I think regardless of whether or not there's a BDSM element in one's sexuality, there is inherently a a shamed self who can be integrated with the public presentable self. Um, That, yeah, I think sex is like alchemical for helping us accept the parts of ourselves that we've been taught to hide. And then we can become more empowered in our daily lives. And that has helped resolve a lot, resolve a lot of my mental health stuff. 
All right. So paraphrasing what I just heard, wanting to just break it down and communicate it in a way that my brain can understand. What I'm hearing is that we're not saying shadow work, it's integration work. And we're taking the things that may have been shamed or pushed into the darkness out of the light, such as sexuality and freedom of expression during sex. And we're allowing for a space for that to express where it's generally more accepted and your identity in that expression is validated, such as a BDSM space. Right. Yeah. And, I, and the thing I have to stress totally is like, or like a great example of this is that I, through, um, you know, online yelling at people, um, learned that I have a really uh, vibrant humiliation fetish. And I realized that I had been humiliating people I had crushes on non-consensually in public. And that is the danger of not integrating that, that shame self as it will come out when you don't want it to. And now it has a deliberate place to play with people who love it. And I never non-consensually humiliate people anymore. Yo, so that just made me think of how we have these unconscious behaviors that shoot out of us and we may talk down to people or we may mis not misbehave. We may like just not treat people the way that we intend to because of that build up, that pressure that builds from us not expressing something that has to get out. Does that, yeah, like that, so it sounds like BDSM and wherever it's consensual really is a safe space to play, play being to express that and give it its freedom to roam within the boundaries of whoever's consenting to uh, support you in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of people who've done a lot of work. There's a great book called Romancing the Shadow, which is all about how to love and express the part of yourself that you've been taught to hide so you can become more fully actualized. You mentioned that you're a coach that has helped or you have been, or are you still doing any coaching? I don't charge for it anymore, but I, I do do it. Yeah. So just with supporting people in coming out, um, before I, so this is two questions. I hate when this happens because there's like a pivotal point in the conversation where I'll probably forget the other question. So I'm going to ask both and hopefully you can answer both with having herpes. Um, was that in any way, shape or form, something that influenced your exploration of your gender expression? And then the other question, see, I forgot, go ahead and answer that one. Um, I wouldn't say that it affected my gender expression, but it did, the act of disclosure really helped me formalize my boundaries around consent and my behaviors around consent. Um, I know people who have HSV1 who do not need consent before kissing people to feel comfortable. I do. Mm. Um, and, uh, if you're not into formal consent, you probably won't be into me, so that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that we don't kiss. When you when you say that formal consent, can you explain formal consent? Uh, so I and then this could be part of my neurodivergence. Um, I really need explicit consent for almost everything I do, um, including holding your hand or giving you a hug. Um, like once familiarity develops. It can start. I can start to pick up on body language about receptivity, but if I don't know you very well, I, under no circumstances, will interact with your body non-consensually without giving you all the information you need to make decisions about your health. But 
aren't we supposed to just know what partners like sometimes and just be able to just do things? Doesn't it take away from the romanticization? I don't even know if that's a word, romanticization <laughs> of, right, of the interaction. Why, why do we need to explicitly get consent to hold hands or to touch or to do things like is it ever a point where that's like a turn off and where's the where's the line? stating what you want to do to a person can actually be very hot. Ooh, explain um, yourself. Or explicitly stating what you would like to have done to you can be very hot. Um, two is like, if it turns you off, that's fine. We don't have to interact in that space. Uh, that's just how I like to interact. And, you know, you can do your thing. Is this, uh, is this a good three, point? Um, is this a good point uh, to just tell people, thank you for taking care of yourself? Exactly. <laughs> I was going to bring it back to stars, which is, you know, if everyone just has a stars document you can read ahead of time then, you know, you can know that uh, I don't, you don't have to ask before you do this with me or whatever, you know? I did not want to, I didn't mean to cut you off from your third thing that you were going to say. Do you remember? Well, what oh, all right, cool. Because uh, I just remembered what I wanted to ask you. It was in relation to coaching people and coming out. So uh, the month of February, there is a series that is on the Something Positive for Positive People podcast feed where it explores the intersectionality of blackness. Well, for me, because a question arise, blackness, queerness and uh, masculinity. And in that, I'm curious to know, like this is a very like selfish question. Can uh, in your experience of supporting people with coming out, have you had any like straight people be queer or queer people realize that they were straight or anything like that? I would say not in my coaching practice, but many people through dating me have learned that they are more queer than they thought they were. Um, I have a lot of straight dudes who have approached me assuming I was a cis woman, uh, maybe even a cis lesbian. Uh, and then uh, through our sexual interactions have been surprised um, at how much they enjoy queer sex. Uh, and that uh, is one of my favorite fetishes is helping straight people realize they're gay. All right. <laughs> You're making everything gay. Corporate America, America, <laughs> the workspace. Um, <laughs> so let's let's speak to that, um, because I in not even moving to Portland, I would say even before that, like in having attraction to someone who's non-binary and wanting to flirt with them and court them. Uh, I'm from the Midwest, raised by Southern parents, grandparents, and things like opening car doors or opening the doors, I've recognized are things that invalidate the identity of someone who is not uh, con- conforming to gender roles. And when I had that realization, I was like, oh, fuck, like, how else is this happening? Or how else is this? Uh, how am I doing this? So I've made it a point to ask things, you know, like, oh, well, what, how do you have sex? Or what does sex look like for us? You know, me being uh, someone who's straight and occupies a lot of school of queer spaces, I'm able to navigate the conversation. But I also now know because of that proximity to queerness that I need to ask these questions and I'm comfortable with exchanging that kind of dialogue. Mm -hmm. My overall question, oh God, I I asked a question and then talked through it, uh, is how do you as, well, you said they're gay. So, I mean, if you're having sex with cis men, then that makes them gay. But like how, 
I, I guess like what what does that do for them? Like, do you see their heads explode or what? It depends uh, on the person. Um, also, just to talk on the real quick note on the door opening thing, uh, you should see the faces of some straight dudes when I buy dinner and open the door for them. Um, they either love it or they hate it. Um, but uh, so you're, I guess you're asking like, how does I forgot the question. No, no, because it it wasn't really even a question. It's just like, I'd like to hear how you speak to as uh, you you are a man and you said you've had cis, you, can I say that? Like, what do I say? Would I say you're trans? Yeah, I'm trans. Okay, so you're trans, cisgendered, heterosexual men approach you. You get to the point of uh, dating, being sexually active. Uh, how does this challenge their identities and who they think they are? Because they go from thinking, oh, I'm straight. And then they're like, oh, shit, I'm having sex with someone who's trans. Yeah. Um, I, so, yeah, there are a very variance of experiences, experiences. And there's also, for me, a new commitment to myself that I will not date people who need to view me as a woman in order to feel validated. I used to, all the time, date people who were like, yeah, 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 you're a man, uh, but I'm still straight and you're still a lady. Um, and I used to date people like that because I didn't love myself. And I uh, believed that I deserved to be, um, you know, objectified or contorted in order to fit someone else's idea of what I should be in order to be loved. And now I date two pansexual people um, who are have experienced dating men, cis men, trans men. And that is very, it's, it's just easeful. Um, but yeah, in terms of, yeah, how humans react to that, um, mostly it's denial, but occasionally it's curiosity. Often there's some fear and anxiety. Um, I think they're either afraid of what will happen if they start to be gay or um, what will happen, like maybe they're afraid of messing up or doing something wrong. Like I've had a lot of people ask questions about like, what do I like things to be called? How do I like to be touched? Which is I think a very smart thing to do with trans people because every person is different. Um, yeah, I would say sometimes it's curiosity and sometimes it's, I've also had a lot of lesbians be quite disappointed. Um, <laughs> they're like, you look like a lesbian and I'm like, I know it's because my tea hasn't really kicked in yet, but I'm sorry. And they're like, but I don't date men. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. So your identity, your expression, like challenges people's sexuality if they're attracted to you. Do you feel, well, it sounds like your, how can I put this? Your alignment with who you are, your self-confidence is significantly stronger than that of potentially a lot of straight people's because it's not that they challenge your expression of masculinity. It's that their masculinity is challenged. And it's the same thing with lesbians, like their potential insecurity and who they are. They're like, oh, no, I'm a lesbian. I would never. And then they meet you and they're like, oh, can we? And then you're like, actually, uh, he, he, him. Like I'm trans and then they're like, but, but are you, are you sure? Like they can't fucking date you because of a label that you choose to use and like, because you invalidate their identities or you challenge them in being who they are. 
Is that something that you are able to speak to a little bit more? Because I'm just I'm like trying to ask the question. And even as we had this conversation, I'm like formulating thoughts. So nothing's really complete. And we're figuring this out together. Yeah, we're just it's a a meandering stroll. Oh, totally. Our minds. Uh, I, I feel that a lot of humans find identities that help them feel like they're part of communities and that help them feel safe. And so having that identity challenge can throw a lot of things up. Um, for straight guys, it's probably being accepted by their friends and family. Um, for lesbians, it could be being a gold star lesbian or, um, maybe they're even just like, I don't date men because men are trash. Uh, you know, some people really have that opinion and, uh, to, to some degree, like, a lot of their men have some work to do a lot of a lot of men not all men but a lot of men have some work to do um so it's like i get it especially like and some people are actually very um activated in their trauma by masculinity um by by the way people talk or take up space or um you know do things that can be very activating if they have a um any bad history with masculinity so I, i respect people's you know it's the whole thank you for taking care of yourself thing um, if this is overwhelming for you, I invite you to lean in or step away if you're uncomfortable. We both just did our homework. We both said thank you for taking care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> Done. Um, so I have met someone who is trans. And mm-hmm. what I found interesting is that this, well, are you a trans man or are you just trans? I, I usually use the term trans masculine. Okay. Um, I, I, I hang out in the non-binary space, but more on the manly side of non-binary, sometimes going full dude, but often towing the line, I guess. Yeah. All right. So, and I say that because I have only recently heard I'm trans, period, rather than trans man or trans woman thinking that that's all there is to be expressed. But again, this is something that transcends the binary. So it's not trans man or woman, trans masculine, trans feminine. There's also trans. So we have all of these identifiers and all these identities here. Um, And I guess like one of the questions I was going to ask in relation to this really revolved around like being approached, how how to approach people, because I would say now, especially with masks covering up the bottom half of our faces, you know, if you see someone that you may want to strike up a conversation with, like some people have it programmed into them to be like, hey, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, you dropped this. And that's like older people, too. So for the generation that we're in, like, again, I'm Midwestern dude up here in the Pacific Northwest now. And it's something to just be mindful of when engaging in conversation. And the curiosity is there. But like, how do you express? um, For me, I know that there is a lot of violence against black trans people by black men by straight black men and so there's like an intimidation factor potentially or like i feel the need to demonstrate safety and security you know when approaching anyone because you don't know what someone's pronouns are or what their gender expression or sexual attraction or orientation are so what are some ways that you feel safe in being approached by anybody especially like a cis man who is gonna probably flip out when you're like nah bro i'm a dude yeah um i think that 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say something that has been helpful for me, like in public spaces, is I do. I got masks that say he, they on them. Because um, I was getting mammed and missed a lot in the grocery stores and just, just like, around. And, and for me, misgendering isn't that uncomfortable. Like, one, I get it. Like, people, you know, whatever. Um, but also a big thing for me is that my identity is not validated by other people's reception of it. It is mine and validated by me. So it's other people's agreement with my gender is really irrelevant to me. Um but in terms of approaching me, it's funny because I'm so typically the approacher. I love shy people. Um, and so I tend to, like, if I have a crush on someone, I will invite them to, like, a community game night or, like, a potluck or something like that. And I'll see how they click with my community and my other partners and then, you know, see how the conversations go. And then we might have a one-on-one walk. Um, and then maybe on that walk, it might come up that we, like, I just had this great conversation where this person was like, I'm not really available for romantic entanglement, but I like you a lot as a friend. I want to get to know you and I'd like to explore kink with you. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. But that was after several community hangouts, um, and then being very shy and adorable. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I would say I don't get approached very often. Um, when I do, uh, it is often just like gross keyboard smashers on Instagram who were like, Hey queen, uh, want to see my body or, you know, like it's just, it's ham fisted, poorly constructed nonsense that is just immediately deleted or screenshotted for fun. Um, I would say the exception to that rule is my partner, Jared, who, um, uh, we connected on OkCupid pre pandemic, then stayed in touch over Instagram while I moved away and came back. And then they approached me very respectfully um, in a way that they wanted to um, be helpful to me in my life and like offered to like be a support person. Um, And we met and talked through it. And I, you know, decided that I trusted them and we explored them being that support person. And it grew into a very romantic, um, wonderful thing. Damn, that's pretty cool. I've never heard of that. Like there's all these areas of relating to people and it doesn't have to exclusively be maybe sex is on the table or it's just, or sex isn't on the table. And it's like, we're friends or we're going to be together. Right. And what you just explained to me transition transcends that because now we've got support person. Right. And then we've also got like kink, uh, kink partners and friends and play partners. Um, when I sit here and I hear you speak, what I'm thinking to myself is how uh, I, I practice yoga. And one of the things that we learned are how the gods are, you know, expressed in a certain way. But when they come down to earth, they represent uh, themselves in a way that whoever it is that they're engaging with, like how they would recognize them, if you will. So that may be a feminine expression or it could be a masculine expression. And what I'm noticing here is that like there's no either or, there's no masculine or feminine. It just seems to me like you're just being and you're speaking to very emotionally charged things and you're doing so in a very um, direct, decisive manner and just like matter of fact. And you 
embody not just masculinity, but also femininity in a way that it's not either or. And I think that that's like, that's something that I want to like compliment you on for sure, because like I, I recognize it and it's like, damn, you know, why can't more people just be that way? My masculine traits as a child were heavily shamed, and I was rejected by girls and beaten up by boys. Oh, what? That was the majority of my childhood I spent alone. And I didn't even know I was trans, but, like, my peers knew because they all rejected me. Because I didn't do things right. I didn't didn't conform to either group correctly, and so I was rejected by both. Yeah. So where'd you find yourself fitting in? Like, when did you begin to find a space that you belonged? say probably in Spokane in my early 20s in the drag and comedy scenes um I do consider myself a sacred clown um and so I think being with people who are playful naturally um is helpful for me and then being in the drag space where gender is just something to put on or take off and seeing how many variations of people how they are in and and out of drag I think gave me permission to start exploring that and also it's like when you're not the only one and you're in a, in a group of people who are all doing that, you don't feel so othered. You feel like you can just not have to have the, the spotlight on you all the time and you can sort of experiment a little bit in the background while other people are doing their thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a big part of it was finding drag and finding improv. Okay. Well, so improv you... Improv my social anxiety a lot. Ooh, How? Uh, I used to be terrified of human beings, largely being rejected and um, bullied as a child. Uh, so I just didn't uh, interact with humans. Um, and then improv basically taught me that failure is not the end. And every second after your failure, you are further away from your failure and people care less and remember less. So if you stumble on the street and drop your drink, maybe one guy saw you, you probably forgot about it. Mm. You know, um, so it, it basically taught me that making mistakes and failure is almost irrelevant, honestly. It's not really, doesn't matter. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, failure. Ooh, we can speak to that. So failure, rejection. You've been rejected by women, beaten up by boys, or rejected by girls, beaten up by boys. And uh-huh. you sort of stumbled into these spaces where it wasn't really about your physical appearance. It was more about your ability to be funny. Like, how witty are you? You know, how playful are you? Just these intangible aspects of your identity and expression. How did you find these places for you to get to explore being yourself? I don't know why, because I've never been to an improv show, but I did sign up for improv classes. And through improv, that's how I met the drag performers. And um, they just started inviting me to hang out regularly. Um, So I think it it took that initial step of just taking a class and something I had never done um, just to get out of the house. Uh, I was in an abusive relationship at the time, and it was kind of the only time I was allowed to leave the house. And I was learning to drive, and it was a short drive. So that's why I signed up for the improv classes, was just to face a couple fears at once. And um, it ended up changing my entire life. <laughs> you have so many just, it, it sounds like you've lived multiple lives. I really stuffed a lot into my 20s. 
say that. I didn't even we didn't even talk about the Colts. Let's there's, let, there's so much. Can we can we can we go there? We we've, we've got time. Okay. Yeah. Um for legal reasons I'm not going to name names, but um yeah, I was involved in a cult. Uh it was I went to a festival and um it was hosted on this land and I was told that the people who took care of the land were uh, part of a polyamorous permaculture research institute and I was like, you're telling me you're doing sustainability research? only eating meat that you grow yourself and you're all polyamorous and gay i was like sign me up i've been looking for you guys and then i got there and slowly but surely figured out that it was all a funnel for a 70 year old man to have sex with young women and that all he wanted was to have sex with me and i did not care about the research i wanted to do and actually held my research hostage unless i would have sex with him i didn't uh then i publicly told him that it was inappropriate to hold my research hostage in order to have sex with me. And then everyone left. Mic drop. So you ended this yeah. cult? Yeah. I have a, I have a least... folk song I wrote about it. I'm very proud of it. Probably one of my top accomplishments was destroying that cult. Let's go. He's very good at, at He got a new group of people. Legally, he's like really hard to touch. It's very frustrating. Wow. That is some wild shit. Well, do you have any other wild shit that you want to share with us before I just move on to the next question that pops up into my head? Uh, I mean, the only other wild part of my story is that uh, I'm a solo parent. Um, I found out I was pregnant at six weeks and was immediately ghosted by the other person. Oh! Um, so that whole process. Uh, and then at eight months, when she was eight months old, a pandemic started and our apartment flooded and I lost my job that week. That was tough. God damn. But now, honestly, no one can fucking touch me. Yeah. <laughs> you, so, you, cannot, you can't touch me at this point. Yeah, this whole herpes thing is just completely fucking insignificant to your life other than the two or three rejections. Like, I, that's so just far and disconnected from everything else that has gone on in your life. Like, wow. Um Oh, I guess, like, how do you navigate disclosing? Because there's a lot, it sounds like, you have to disclose. Like, that you are transmasculine, you birthed your child, you are a solo parent, you, um, yeah, there, there's a lot. There's a lot for you to disclose. Polyamorous, yeah, I mean, neurodivergent, you name it, yeah. Yeah, so this whole time, I just thought, like, me not really knowing what I want, being non-monogamous and like having herpes were the three things that I needed to disclose but like hearing you I'm like oh shit I thought I had a lot yeah it's like how much time you got right <laughs> uh yeah I mean a big part of it I think it is part of the how I told you that I approach things in more of a community mindset where if I'm interested in a person I'll welcome them into my community to see how they connect with other queer polyamorous people um to kind of sense out if they're a person I can trust to put to even put the energy in to disclose um, but sometimes, you know, I'll have a first date that goes really well. They already know half the stuff from my OkCupid profile. And um, uh, there's a, an, a, an experience that stands out where I had a great OkCupid date with someone. And they I had to go really quickly. And they asked if they could kiss me. And I said no. And then afterwards, I clarified. I was like, I didn't have time to talk to you about herpes. So that's why I couldn't let you kiss me goodbye. And so we connected later and kissed. But um, I would say... If I feel like a kiss might be coming, I will try to get there way before we're like, you know, this close to each other and just be like, FYI, uh, 
I might HSV1 positive. Do you need any information about that? Or do you know your status? Um, yeah, I just try to, because I don't like people to have to decide in the moment. I don't <sighs> like to be too rushed. Yeah, because it's never really a decision that is being made by you. It's often being made by wherever the most of the blood flow is happening, and that's where the decision is being made from. Yeah, yeah, and that's not an integrity with how I want to live my life, so I don't do that. Yeah. Um, Let's see. When we speak to, like, you mentioned that you're very much the pursuer. If you're crushing on somebody, you'll throw out these hints and do things like that. Um. How do you go about explaining to someone what uh, sex with you or touching you or relating to you looks like? Because you're also polyamorous, you have kink partners, you have friends. So how do you decide like who goes in what bucket, who gets what information and how do you go about telling them how to interact with you sexually? Um, I think honestly, like I have really implemented the stars talk a lot since I found out about it. It's really handy to cover all the bases um and then I often will just like when I get into an intimate space with a person um we'll just ask them if they have any questions um just to clarify like I recently had like a first sexual experience with someone who had never been with a trans person before and so we sort of talked through what that means to me as a sexual being and and how I like to be interacted with and um but yeah in terms of like where I put my energy and like how I let people in. It's, it's very intuitive to me. Um, we have a, um, a shorthand at home where we talk about, um, protecting your vital energy. Um, and it's sort of like, if it gives me life, I lean in. And if I feel even a little bit icky, I'm probably going to take a step back and figure out why my body, because if my body's telling me something as a partner to my body, my body gets a say and if it says something i'm gonna listen to it check in with it get consent from myself first like i've thrown myself into way too many bad situations uh which is part of why i have such an interesting story (laughs) i really really went for it um but now i know what i want and what i'll tolerate and who i am and all that stuff Wow. Yeah, you definitely do. And I'm so grateful for you reaching out and being like, yeah, I'll share because this has <laughs> this has shown just like how insignificant herpes is. And while, yeah, this podcast started out where we'd speak about probably 85% of the experience of a person's herpes diagnosis, navigating that, and then the other 15 being about them as a person, I've gotten to a point probably for the last two, two and a half years where that's flip-flop. Like it's 85% about the person and maybe 15% about their experiences with herpes just to remind people that we are that, like we have much more to us than the little bit that we give to herpes. And I mean, to be honest, 15% is too much, but we got to stay on brand here with the podcast and the nonprofit. So uh, I, I guess, is there something that you want to share with people? Um, I mentioned that the bulk of the audience that I interact with regularly is not all the way straight, cisgendered, white women. There are some people of color that I'll talk to occasionally, but most commonly people who support the podcast, share the podcast are typically, you know, that demographic. So I think I, I think I have one message and three asks. Um, one is, uh, my fairy godmother, Rita Parrish, gave me the advice several years ago to stay curious. And that is the best advice 
across the board uh, for everything. So, like, if, you know, I sometimes forget that people don't, aren't like me. And for people who are different than me, like, there's just so much you can learn about other people and about yourself. Just stay curious. Keep asking questions. Don't make your mind up about somebody. Don't have a crush on someone after one date. Stay curious. And my three asks, they're all weird. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. One, I set the intention that I wanted to be the world's most interesting podcast guest and get on a podcast. And then that day, you and I connected. Uh, So I would like to continue getting on podcasts. So if you want to talk to me about anything, please do. Uh, Second ask, if you uh, have a tarantula or scorpion that you don't want, I'll take it. And three, my life goal is to meet... Uh, a super billionaire and hold them in my arms and let them cry so if you can connect us if you know jeff bezos elon musk any of those guys if you're listening i want to hold you and let you cry i just need to do that if you make <laughs> this connection through this podcast like how how cool would that be <laughs> yeah um all right uh i guess that's that's it i'm trying to think if there's anything that we haven't covered that i wanted to cover but i I think that you did a great job of speaking to everything that i imagined that we could have talked about and then some because there were things that came up that i I was like oh i didn't know that oh i didn't know about that um so yeah i'm very appreciative for you chuck for being in this space you know as a parent as an advocate for making corporate america gay for um just being you and bringing you into this space to share with the podcast listeners because there is so much more to us than just our herpes diagnosis we've got all these lived experiences uh chuck if you want people to follow you uh can you point them in the direction of uh your social media your work wherever you want people to connect with you yeah, um, so if you're looking for tech mentorship, you can find me on LinkedIn as Chuck Copenspire, spelled like it sounds, uh, with a C. And if you want to follow me for gay, artsy, edgy, spicy stuff, uh, my Instagram and TikTok is your period pansexual period crisis. <laughs> so uh, that's how you can find me. I change my Instagram all the time, though, so that's what it is right now. <laughs> Perfect. And then we'll link to it in the show notes. And if it changes by the time of this recording, I'll just add it there. Cool. Um, okay. Well, thanks for having me. I've had a really good time chatting with you. And uh, thanks for being part of making my uh, my goal come true. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. All right. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share, and donate to this podcast on your favorite podcast hosting platforms and that that sends them makes sense for the donations uh courtney brain on cash app and uh venmo paypal and patreon are the website.com slash spfpp um i really hope that y'all got something out of this podcast episode and something useful and at the very least like the importance of being able to express yourself in safe spaces and connect with those intangible aspects of your identities it's important to be curious to be playful to be you so wherever you get an opportunity to do so do that and anything that doesn't feel good to your body that is not giving you life like not don't don't lean into that lean into what does bring you life lean into what does feel good and invite more of that into your life all right till next time stay sex positive